Truth, Justice, The American Way, also Blackface, Porno, and Tentacle Sex. It's Divisive Issues. Hey everyone, welcome to Divisive Issues, a comic book podcast where we review uh, controversial, weird, and uh, things I don't ever want to see in a comic book, but we're doing it anyways. Uh, I'm is, Joe's... is Joe mad about something? And, <laughs> Joe... and, and we're going to troll him about it? <laughs> Joe's generally displeased about something, and we'll get to that later. Alright, in case you haven't guessed it yet, I'm Joe Ciano. I'm Slank Rabo. And I'm Ryan Lynch. And today we're going to look at the absolute worst of Superman. I would disagree. <laughs> We're going to look at the best and worst of Superman. We're going to look at something about Superman, that's for sure. <laughs> Three different Superman stories this episode. Yeah, this episode's going to be a little different. Instead of picking one arc, as uh, we usually do, we're picking a couple standalone Superman stories that have probably come across your purview of weird, bizarre stories that I know Cracked did an article about one, and just... Things that we hunted down for how yeah. bizarre they were. Yeah, if you've ever been on any kind of, like, internet fan list of, like, wacky, bizarre, crazy stories that maybe shouldn't exist, um, there's a little bit from all of them here. Yeah. So, God, I, I'm so dreading. So let's kind of go oh, story God. by story. Uh. So up first, we have Mr. Sly. So the first story we're doing is called I Am Curious Black. And it's called that because Lois Lane is curious. And not serious, Black? Yeah, isn't this... Uh, this is the eighth Harry Potter book that J.K. <laughs> Rowling's working on, right? I'm Curious Black. No, it's about... Lois Lane's curious about what it's like to be a Black Is there woman. a comma there? Or is it just I'm Curious Black? I'm Curious, parentheses, Black. Yeah, Black okay. is in parentheses, which okay. is weird. Yeah. But um, all these stories are from... Just read the cover. Okay, the cover is... <laughs> Superman putting Lois in like a weird body mold invention contraption thing, saying, sure you want to go through this, Lois? And Lois is like, yes, Superman, close the body mold and switch on the power. Then, zhoo, 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 he turns on the body mold, electricity happens, and last uh, panel on the cover is Lois saying, stepping out as a black woman, saying, it is important that I live the next 24 hours as a black woman. Wow, wow, so much sassier on the second time. <laughs> Did her voice change too? <laughs> I think Sly's racist. <laughs> but um, Disclaimer, Sly's not racist. All these stories are from <laughs> uh, an era called the Bronze Age. We talked a little about the Golden Age and the Silver Age. Golden Age is when Superheroes first came out. Uh, Silver Age was in the 60s. Golden Age was in the 30s and 40s. But in the, in the, in the Silver Age, basically, comics got a lot more lighter. Uh, they started attack- That's when they started doing all the weird shit like fighting aliens... Turning into zebras and Turning all that. Turning into cats. Turning into cats. And um, basically, as a, to tr- move away from the darker golden age, which is more about noir stuff, fighting crime and social issues. Monsters and murder. Yeah. and But the Bronze Age was this really weird transition where they started tackling social issues again. Marvel's pretty good at it. DC is pretty clunky. And okay, I'm going to jump in real quick. The Bronze Age for DC started with a story... One of my favorite stories, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, where basically, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but Green, Green Lantern... You can just say the concept of Yeah, that. Green Lantern's a space cop, and he's confronted with the idea that he fights space aliens and saves Earth, but doesn't ever stand up for, like, minority rights or, like, people that are getting shut out of, like, their, like, 
slum apartments that like greedy land you know landlords kicking them out and like basically that it's kind of like when you look at silver age comics now and you're like what kind of world is this that there's no like you can just you could just have these aliens show up and no one questions yeah. like the implications of it and that Wait, book, I don't know about you it's a world i want to be a part of yeah <laughs> the more black and white like nice world where you don't have to worry about the terrible things <laughs> But it, after that story, DC, it, it sold really well and got a lot of press. And DC was like, let's do more like that. And they are not as nuanced or well-written for the most part. Even in uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, they had clunky moments. Oh, it's heavy-handed. Like, I think overall... What's the most, what's the most iconic scene? Uh, black guy comes up to um, Green Lantern and says... You've saved the blue skins and the orange skins, but what have you done for the black skins? Exactly. I think that's a poignant scene in 1969. But it's kind of heavy-handed nowadays. Oh, yeah, it's heavy-handed nowadays, but like you said... Someone it, had to be the pioneer. Someone had to be the pioneer. Yeah. yeah. And thankfully it was Denny O'Neill. Thankfully it was Denny O'Neill, who is and, probably and, the best <laughs> Bronze Age writer. Thankfully it was Denny O'Neill, not Robert Con... <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Kniger, I'm sorry. Kniger, Kniger. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! We're adding that out. How do you know all these guys' names? I can tell you, it's not what Slice said. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so <laughs> disclaimer: Slice not racist. Where am I? We'll find out. <laughs> so, the first uh, page of this. <laughs> time out. Time out. <laughs> I also was not intending to say that. I know that's what makes it so because because <laughs> we've established that we mispronounce names all the time. Like that's a totally totally fine joke to keep in. It's our joke. <laughs> but like, I'd say put a bleep on it. But that is so funny. <laughs> okay. Okay. We ready? No. Oh my god. That was really not intentional. I, was I know. To... I know. But that's... we know. Of course, it oh. wasn't intentional. That's why it's so funny. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, give me that's a second. Awesome. Five, uh, give me a sec. All right. Something okay. serious. Technical sex. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. That was that serious. Excessive hand holding. All right. Baseball. Baseball. These make you angry, Joe. Books. Okay. All right. So, okay. the first page of this comic is Lois comes to Superman saying, "Tell me, look me straight in the eye, Superman. Tell me the truth. Will you marry me just the way I am?" And this is how she's black. And somebody's like, Lois, how could you ask this, such a question of me? Me! And, uh, and Lois is like, don't answer a question of a question. Sir, man, I'm black. You're white. I want a simple yes or no answer. Uh, will you marry me? I love that Lois has just given him the business. Yeah. yeah. Who's the editor on this? The editor, it's a fucking good question. I don't know. Okay, well, the only reason why I ask that is because in the Silver Age, DC had an editor named Julie Schwartz, and he had this policy that they would come up with the cover first and then the first page would be like this radical concept so it's like Superman's really fat or like the Flash is really old or whatever and then they would tell a story based around this cover idea to kind of grab people in so that's why you got so many of these goofy stories so this one I wonder if it's a Julie Schwartz issue or it's just kind of in his legacy where it seems like the premise is the whole issue that they had this premise before they had the plot they might have. I wouldn't be surprised. But this plot of the story, uh, which is previewed in that, that uh, yeah. first page... And that's standard for comics at the time. Action on the first page and then flashback. Yeah, flashback to early in the story. Lois is going to Little Africa. 
And uh, she wants to talk about... Uh, I'm sorry, how... can we talk about how it's called Little Africa? Yeah, yeah. Like Little Italy, but Little Africa. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. It's... Africa's not a... Like, when it's like Little Italy, a little like, you know, like... Those are countries. Whatever, like, those are countries. Yeah. yeah. This is a continent yeah. Yeah. of people. And so uh, already the racial nuances. Are is, is there prevalent. is there like an Egypt district in Little Africa too, or like? I guess. So uh, Lois wants to talk about how it is in Little Africa, how bad it is, and she wants to get a Pulitzer Prize for that. And everyone in Little Africa is like, "Fuck off, uh, Whitey!" Literally, because uh, uh, they call her Whitey. Yeah. And uh, I mean, do you blame them for this? She's trying. She's coming to the. She's going to this part of town that she never goes to. To almost write like an ex like an expose piece on how shitty their lives to make herself yes. famous. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I totally, I totally get it, and it's, it seems very like extortionist. Yeah. And eventually, they just ignore her completely. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, everyone is just like, "Fuck off, Whitey." Never forget, she's Whitey. Was what uh, this one guy who's causing a little uh, speech in the middle of the street saying, "Oh, she might think she might say she's for us, but um, she might be pretty and young, but she's Whitey, and she's always against against us." She let she let us uh, shine their shoes and sweep her floors, and babysit for her kids. But she won't let our kids into her into her schools, so fuck her. And oh, just to give a little bit of context. Yeah. Con- context. This came out in 1970. Yeah. So it's right after Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Like it's the same year. So there's also like 1970s where there's actually still a lot of yeah. yeah so this isn't like this is a prevalent issue in the society at the time. So it's not like as out of place as you would ex- like maybe expect to see like this kind of heavy-handed writing now. Yeah. But it's, 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 yeah, it's early, still, like, peak civil rights times. Yeah. And, uh, so then Lois is like, I wanna, I can't get to Little Africa and learn about it unless Superman helps me. And Superman comes down, because there's nothing better to do. Yeah. He's well, like, <laughs> once again, Lois can't do anything by herself yeah. in a Silver Age story. This is a, a weird thing I want to talk about for a second. Because um, this is from her, uh, Lo, uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, a comic book that, this is issue 106 of the series, and the series <laughs> goes on for 200 issues. And Lois is not a character you can make fucking tone gestures of. She is not a proactive character that can do stuff on um, her own. No, she, I, I, I would argue that she absolutely can be. Not Silver Age. Not Lois, Silver Age. Just a, she's not the lowest that, like... Help me, Superman. I, I can't do as much I'm sorry. She's, she's very... Um, stands on her own in a book we won't be talking about because it gets canceled because of time. <laughs> uh, I'm not bitter at all, but we're gonna keep we're gonna be going with it. Joe wants us to talk about an issue where a brainwashed cat, uh, Lois Lane, dresses as Catwoman and helps Superman get turned into a cat. We're gonna get, we're gonna get more into that later. <laughs> we'll we'll save that for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but Lois Lane is one of my favorite characters, but not Silver Age Lois, which was a female stereotype. Yeah, Silver Age Lois Lane is usually her and Superman's other love interest, Lana Lang, competing to trick him into marrying yeah. him. Yeah. Lana There's... Lang of, of Smallville fame. I have, yes. to, I have to mention that, because if she didn't have Smallville, no one would ever know that she existed. Uh, Greg Pak is using her exceptionally well in his Action Comics run. Oh, thank God. For the record. Good for you. <laughs> good for, good <laughs> for you, Lana Lang. Yeah. Go, but, go uh, get it, girl. So, so Lois comes to Superman, and... Yeah, she's like, please make me a black woman, and Superman's like, oh, fucking okay. Okay, I just want to point out, she says, you have to turn me into a black woman, and Superman goes, yeah, I have a machine that does that from a previous issue. What story was that? Not only is this, like, a weird idea, this machine already exists. Like, they didn't have to make it up for this yeah. story. I also wonder, what the hell did it do before? Like, what yeah. what was the context was used If any of you this? guys have read Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, issue 90, please let us know. I, I do think, I do think this, this device, the plastimal, I do think... Superman use it to become like other people and be like, oh, I'm, I can't be Clark Kent because I look completely different from Probably. Yeah. Some, you know, those weird wacky stories. But the glasses and tie work so well for him. I don't know why it ever changed. <laughs> but uh, so Lois is a black woman 
now and she goes back to the little Af she goes she goes to metropolis towards little africa she notices all the white people in rest metropolis like doesn't want don't want to talk to her they treat her the way uh little africa treated her while she was uh white basically this reminds me so much of have you guys ever seen the snl sketch where eddie murphy turns into a white man named mr white no. Basically, Eddie Murphy turns into a white guy, and as he goes through society, he like tries to get a loan as a black guy, and they're like, we're not giving you any money. And then he goes to get one as a white guy, and they're like, here's all the money! You don't even have to sign! Give it back whatever! We know how it is! <laughs> so, um, so Law always goes to uh, Africa, and it's basically like the slums, and uh, there's like a trash everywhere there's so much that's starting a fire and the woman... oh this this apartment is like everything that a bad apartment can have yeah yeah like there's rats in it uh like uh the water's dripping yeah. oh plaster's falling actually yeah, yeah. Everywhere. Have we also passed the dice game that was going on but like basically this place is a shithole and a woman uh basically sees lois and she's like oh come and have coffee with me and like this rat's attacking this woman's baby plaster falling over her food as she's eating and, um, and like, Lois doesn't say a single thing the entire time. Like, she's, like, mute. And, uh, this woman, like, it's, it's basically this whole thing is just the story force-feeding you through Lois how bad these characters' lives are yeah. in, in these slums. And, um, then, um, Lois walks uh, by the, uh, a kindergarten class in the middle of the street that is, um... Uh, the teacher is basically saying, "You are proud to be black. What is what is beautiful? Say it loud and proud." And everyone says, "Oh, black is beautiful. Black is beautiful." Which is a really strange kindergarten class. I mean, like I get the the empowerment idea yeah. they're going for, but like it seems instead of it being played for like empowerment, it seems more indoctrination. Yeah. And it's really weird. Like it seems like they're like brainwashing these kids when that's not really what they're trying to go for. Yeah. The fact that it's kindergarten it makes it weird. Like it's, yeah, it was just like a uh, after school. And they're like, repeat after me, repeat after me. <laughs> like it would be, wait. Like I I get what they're going for, but it's not handled. The well age at is all. a little young. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so the guy I mean, that I mean, not that you have to be like young to know that you're beautiful and to be proud, but like it as they say, it's a very clunkily handled. Scene. Yeah. So, so the guy that uh, was saying fuck her, she's whitey. Dave Stevens shows up to her saying, oh, hey, uh, how, how are you? And he's friendly to her and saying, oh, do you remind me of somebody. Uh, 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 have you met someone before? But uh, before Lois can really respond, he's, they both see a bunch of dropouts going to an alley. And Dave Stevens knows they're going to get some heroin there. And he says, stay, stay here. This is a man's business. Because yeah. even though this is uh, an anti-racism comic, it's still pretty sexist. Cause oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's still Bronze Age DC. Uh, but um, so Dave Stevens goes and tries to stop these uh, uh, drug dealers, saying, "Oh, stop trying to sell your poison to our kids!" And the guys just fucking shoot him. And uh, Dave Stevens gets shot, and he's like starts dying. Because what would you fucking expect? Just walking up to fucking guys with guns and saying, "Stop doing that!" And then Superman, because he has nothing better to do, is watching Lois and comes in and saves uh, both of them from the drug dealers, and beats the shit out of these uh, guys. I just love that at this point, Superman was like an omnipotent god who yeah. could sneeze and destroy galaxies. And like in the 60s and 70s, he was the most overpowered dude in the world. And he's still just hanging out watching Lois. Like yeah. he could be saving so many Well, that's people. his girlfriend. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so uh, so see, Dave Stevens is dying and uh, no one has the blood to um, help him. Because uh, he needed blood transfusion. Except for Lois. So Lois is like, I'm on negative just like him. I would give him the blood. And um, but also the mold, the face molding, uh, blackification thing they gave up to her, it's it's only less twenty four. Yeah, uh, it's this weird sort of like 
face black thing. Yeah, black face <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh, it's, it wears off after 24 hours. So, um, but well, it's breaking down early for her. Yeah, and for why? Because plot. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> they don't even pretend to explain it. No, they don't. And and bef- before uh, the Superman's like, oh, that's weird. Oh, <laughs> before the blackface wears off, she goes to Superman and gives a scene from the first page where, will you would you still love me even though I'm black? Would you still marry me? And this is a thing I thought when I read this. Superman's like, I didn't want to marry you when you were white. Why would I marry you when yeah, you're black? Yeah, like this. A lot of issues of this book is her trying to trick Superman into marrying her, and he's always like, I'm an alien. I can't put you in danger. No. So like, I don't get her argument. She's saying, now that I'm black, you're racist for not marrying me when you didn't want to marry me before. <laughs> it's bizarre. He's trying to get uh, white, white guilt him, I guess, into uh, marrying her. Yeah. Even though she's not going to be white again in like uh, five seconds. <laughs> yeah. And also, one thing that I did want to point out is the guy she's giving the blood transfusion to wakes up and sees her as a black woman giving him the blood. Yeah. And that is kind of important later. Important. As important as everything else is. In this. But uh, the climax is actually, now Lois is white, uh, she goes to see Dave Stevens after being black, like Ryan said, and she's like, "Will you hate me now? Will you recognize me as Whitey?" And Dave Stevens, I, it's nice that he's not angry at her for being Whitey, but he's not weirded out at the fact that she was a black woman. That he turned... looks mad at first. No, and... he looks shocked, and he's like happy, and he just they don't say anything. Like he doesn't explain, like I will, I will Superman help me be white, yeah. or whatever. And he shakes her hand, and the issue ends. Yeah, and like. There's questions. You just took this woman's blood. Shouldn't you know if she's like a shapeshifter? Yeah. Or like, like if she changed her race, why couldn't her blood type change? Like, there's questions that have to be asked. And those, wow, you, you guys you, are reading really into this. No, but you, you would not take this very casually. Like, this woman was I, white. I think black. he's happy to be alive. I'm sure he is, but like, I'll be, I'll be like, thank you, but what the fuck happened, just happened? Yeah, like. I would be grateful, but I would need some answers. That's a weird thing that just happened. Yeah. That's not the point of this issue, though. No, I know, but I think that that is important. <laughs> his, re- his reaction it should be at least natural if you're trying to tell a good story. Because I actually love that it was all silent. Like, it, for this early... This is the f- earliest book I've seen where they have, like, an all-silent page where it's just, like, panels and no speech bubbles. It's a nice... I con- thought that made it really powerful. I think there should be a page after that. Where they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> They, they, they should ruin the really nice yes. like racial harmony ending of the story to be like, yo, what the fuck? Just, you were you were black and now you're white. They should, they should ruin the Saturday morning special qualities <laughs> of the story yeah. to tell an this actual is, human scene. This is exactly what Sly was talking about, about the weird transition from the Silver Age to the Modern Age. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, is it's a bizarre concept of her going in this machine that turns her black. Yeah. And it has a, a, a social message and an actual point and a, a moral they want to tell. But it's put in the context of this bizarre sci-fi thing mm-hmm. that because of that it makes you question it where when you finish you're like that's a good idea but wait what yeah and i feel like that's what dc's bronze age is all about is it's let's tell a real story but put it in the context of a bizarre comics lol kind of world that to me is so ineffective because it raises the question of wait what <laughs> That's the way. That's the way. Sum it up. Wait, what? Yeah. Whereas, like, Spider-Man, at the around the same time, could tell a story about his friend being addicted to pills, and actually tell the story where the climax is. He's addicted to pills. Because Spider-Man lives in New York City. Like he lives in uh, like Queens or or Forest yeah. Hills, rather. And um, 
and like uh, he goes to a newspaper and they they have weird criminals show up, but like his day to day life, he goes to college and like works part time newspaper. Yeah. While Superman lives in the fortress of solitude, has a blackification machine, and uh, uses and that, it regularly apparently. And that's why I defend even you said the heavy handed nature of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, because the climax of that story is Green Lantern saying, "Oh, I don't pay enough attention to societal issues." Where the climax of here is. Lois's black face is wearing off and she's turning white again. Like, and I feel like having the plot climax be a weird concept with a good message is so much less effective than a weird character like Green Lantern, but having the actual moral be the climax. I feel the plot is disconnected from the tone. Alright, so my real question to you guys is, do you think there was like an in-house like rivalry between the Lois Lane team and the Green Lantern Green Arrow team for who can do the better like racial like issue no no <laughs> I think Green Lantern Green Arrow did it and they got a lot of press and DC said do more like that and yeah. they gave it to people like Robert uh <laughs> say, say the right Robert, say the right Robert, name <laughs> don't you dare fuck it up Robert Canager was an old Silver Age Flash writer that's how I know him as a as an old Silver Age Flash writer. He, I think he's a Silver Age writer that DC then said tell yeah he's a tell very, real stories. Yeah, he's credited being the first Silver Age writer on his Wikipedia page. Like he's he's told yeah. the first real Silver Age story. And that's why I feel like they he was out of his element. Where Denny O'Neill always tried to tell a bigger story. Yeah, this is this is a Silver Age writer trying to tell a Bronze Age story. Exactly. And also, just so I forget, the artist for this is Werner Roth, and the inks was Vince Coletta. And Werner Roth and Vince Coletta are big names. Yeah, in the Silver yeah. Age. Silver Werner Age. Roth did uh, a lot of X Men, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, this is this is this is a Silver Age team doing a, a story they were not yeah, ready to exactly. handle. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, so, so, final thoughts. <laughs> I would say that this is a good bad book because even though the morals there, it's so bizarre and so heavy handed that like, it's one thing to have Lois Lane see like a ghetto apartment, but to have literally everything that could go wrong, go wrong in it in the span of the two minutes she's there is hilarious. Yeah. So I recommend reading this as a bizarre Bronze Age story. What about you guys? I agree with Ryan. It's just, it's just such a puzzling story. And this is the kind of weird I really love. Well-intentioned, but poorly, poorly handled. Where you, you just miss the mark on any everything you're trying to tell. Yeah, yeah. I'm with uh, I'm with you guys. It's certainly it's a it's good. It's bad story. Um, it is so heavy-handed and pretty racist at the beginning. Uh, there are people playing dice like it is so bad. Um, and then I kind of felt like it kind of came together at the end a little bit. So where I was like, oh, you were also about something. I do feel like after so. she turns black, it gets less heavy-handed and yeah. better. But it's still, it's still ridiculous. It's still ridiculous. It's still so ridiculous. And the fact that they cram in that yeah. sexist comment for yeah. no reason. <laughs> and the fact that it's also... I like to think that Little Africa is the precursor to Suicide Slums, as we'll be seeing uh, in a later Superman story uh, Oh, jeez, I forgot about that. There you go. <laughs> I wonder if Little Africa is next to Gay City. <laughs> There's an old Golden Age Superman story where he goes to Gay City. Speaking of Gay City, what's the next issue, Joe? <laughs> well, all right. I want to give a little precursor. I was supposed to be doing a two-part story where Catwoman, uh, in her first Silver Age appearance, turns Superman into a cat. It's a beloved story that's one of my first comic books ever. My mom had it. Personally beloved, not Pers- mainstream beloved. No, it's beloved by, by all who've read it. 
except for Sly, because Sly fucking, sucks. I couldn't finish Because Sly sucks and can't read. <laughs> um, Here's the so, truth so, bomb dropping on this episode. Sly, Sly can't, can't read. <laughs> Sly just does it for the pretty picture. You saw how I pronounced that guy's name. <laughs> so I was all excited to do that. I had my notes set, and then all of a sudden we're like, no, nah, we're going to scratch it. Joe, you have to do this turn of an issue. Uh, for the record, I didn't say that. Sly said that. Sly raised a valid point. That issue is from 1966. There's enough wacky Superman Silver Age issues that we can do a whole episode. Yeah, you know what? Those. Screw you two, okay? Because I'm left with the turd sandwich that has to be eaten here. Hey, I which paid is, for it. Which is, shut up! <laughs> Let me finish. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we peek too much, the so thing So what is this actual comic about, Joe? So all of you shut up, and I'm going to do this issue, and we're all going to like it, Okay. Not the comic, but we're going to... We're going to get through this together. I've never seen Joe so mad. Is this what it's like to be you watching us get so mad? <laughs> I'm, I'm literally kind of over it at this point. But we're doing a uh, World's Finest Comics starring Superman and Batman, number 289. World's Finest Comics, by the way, was a series since the Golden Age. And if you've seen covers from it from the Golden Age, it's basically like Superman and Batman and going to swimming holes, playing baseball, like... It was a team-up book for Batman and Superman. And not in the beginning. In the beginning, it was just, say, uh, showcase Batman and Superman stories. But it, it was basically... Their appearance on those covers basically created the Batman and Superman team that's going to be... That's showcased in Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just that, that's, that's what it's based on. Well, you could, oh, you, just by the title of Batman vs. Superman, you could tell how well they handle that dynamic. Yeah. And you can compare and contrast that story of this story, how they handled their friendship. So... One thing that I do want to just disclaimer here. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people have the interpretation that superheroes are like male power fantasies and like there's a lot of homoerotic tones in them. That's totally cool. We have nothing against that. You want to headcanon your favorite heroes in like slash fic gay stuff. That's cool. Um, I, <laughs> I would have my reservations. Okay. On that. We're going to keep going with it. Just, just finish, Ryan. But... Let me get to this, Ryan. We're going to have to... We're going to really I'm be ready pointing to out... the story, Ryan. Okay, hold on. This story... What about this story? really homoerotic. I don't know what you're talking about. I just want to disclaim that... I don't know what Ryan's talking about. There is nothing about. wrong with that. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about, guys. It's done so bizarrely in this issue that we kind of have to really make fun of it. Well, I just want to we'll put see. that out there. We'll see. Okay. All right. If you don't make fun of it, then I'm doing this issue because it's bizarre. <laughs> All right, well... So, sell us on this, Joe. Sell us on this. Um, it is a turd. <laughs> what was the actual story about, Joe? Um, Superman and Batman have a really emotional night that's interrupted by tentacle aliens. So what's so emotional about it? They're just the only two people who can ever understand each other. Okay, so Batman has somebody... Please cuddle me, Bruce. He, he fails to save somebody. Excuse me, I'm, I'm narrating this <laughs> well, story? Well, I thought you were skipping the whole thing. No, I'm trying to get to the creative team. <laughs> people made this, Ryan. This should be acknowledged, okay. okay? So who made this, Joe? Um, Doug Monich is the writer. Um, Adrian Gonzalez is the artist. Uh, Sal Trinapi? Um, take a look at this. I have no... You're good at pronouncing names. Uh, Don't ask me, though. Sal, yeah, I guess Sal Trapani? Tra Trapani? Tra 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 um, this is also edited by Marv Wolfman. Of Teen Titans fame. Of Teen Titans. <laughs> he basically made Teen Titans who they are today. He made a lot of things. Um, but essentially, all right, so this book opens up, uh, with 
the classic alleyway scene. We have two muggers who are like, huh, something, some kind of nightbird or something? Oh, gee, that's no bird. It's the Batman. Yeah, we see And then the Batman sweeps in, starts attacking the muggers. One of the muggers pulls a gun on a guy, and Batman fails to save him. The guy dies. He, he captures the mug. He, he subdues the muggers. Um, and then by the time he realizes that the mugging victim is dead, the two muggers get away, um, and he fails to save the day. Interesting take. Yeah. It, Very it's a- reminiscent of the origin story in a lot of ways. Where once again, the same way, you know, a young Bruce Wayne, you know, who couldn't grow up and get a job, failed to save his parents. Why are you, like, looking at me so intently like I'm, like, throwing shade at Batman <laughs> or something? You all did this. Joe, Joe looks like he's going to beat the shit out of Ryan. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have this fucking comic so I'm going to fucking throw you over the table, Ryan. <laughs> You're making me... I think this is worth every cent of the $3 I, I think so, too. <laughs> it's funny, because I was the one who made, made a suggestion not to do the cow in the one, but Joe seems to be mad at Ryan. Yeah. He let it happen. I just, yeah. <laughs> First they came for the cat stories, and I did not speak out. <laughs> Alright, and uh, juxtaposed to that, in the second part of the prologue, Superman is saving people from, was it meteorite, or just falling Whatever. Rock? Stupid he saves someone from a big rock. Big rock fall down. That's yeah, it. Yeah, big rock fall down, Superman. And he also gets emotional. It's like the whole world in my hands, but perhaps it's not my world. My world is gone, destroyed. That's the one disaster with all my miraculous power I can never change. And he gets really emo, and it's like, I'm going to listen to my chem. See, I feel like the Batman story, he has every reason to be angsty about it. Superman's yeah. just like... I'm alone. I'm alone, which is... It, my like, planet is dead. I, after I, when I started this issue, and I read the Superman, the Batman story, I was like, oh, okay, this will be a real angst thing. It is, it's going to be great. I didn't think the Superman story sold me on it at all. Uh, uh, just some backstory on Doug Mullink. Mullink has wrote a lot of Batman stories. He's, a, he's big, a great Batman writer. Yeah, I, I, you um, would not know that from this yeah. issue. From what uh, he wrote, some Elseworlds stories with Superman in them, where he's an emo bitch too. So I really feel like he just doesn't know how to write Superman. That's very fair. So Alfred's like, you know, Batman, you're really mopey. You should maybe talk to someone. He's like, I don't want to talk to you. Batman, and Alfred's like, all right, fine, go be a bitch and stay there. <laughs> Batman's like, I hate lying to him. The last thing I, I need to, is to alienate Alfred. But there's something I can't just share with him. As a matter of fact, there's only one person I could really share my deep emotional thoughts with. And who should enter the Batcave but Superman? Yeah, he enters that yes. Batcave, all right. Enters that Batcave. And Batman's like, Superman, I just about to contact you using the JLA like, contact signal. And Superman says, somehow I knew. Batman's like, but how could you? And Superman's like, I've always known. I've always... Sus- <laughs> this is direct dialogue, right? No, this is direct dialogue. I suspect, friend, that we could both use some solitude. But I think, too... That it would be better if neither of us spent the night alone. Yeah, this is like the beginning. <laughs> so Batman's like, you'll get no argument for me. And then Superman carries Batman to the Fortress of Solitude. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> That's where actually we get our title page. This is where the story really begins. What's the name of the story? Oh, God. The Krill Way of Dying, I believe. The Krill Way. Yes, it is the Krill Way of Dying. What a weird thing. And just so you guys know, this Fortress of Solitude, I'm assuming if you've seen the movies or anything, it's where Superman, he, he Antarctic... Has, he has a big man cave in, like, Antarctica. Where no one else can reach him, so yep. he's taking Batman up this place so where they can be by themselves, by, surrounded by no, literally nobody else. It's such a ridiculous thing that the way he locks the door is he leaves the key up front, but it's so big that only he can lift it. Alright, so Superman grabs his big phallic symbol key... <laughs> And rams it right into that door. It's what he does. Yeah. He picks up the big phallic symbol key and he's like, evening here will do us some good. I think especially in view of how how we've grown closer these past few months. 
And Batman's like, true, I feel like I can almost discuss anything with you, Superman. <laughs> oh, I wish you guys likes... could see the softness in Joe's eyes when he says that. As I look, I, I should start romancing Sly. How so, so Sly takes away you, the book you love and has this idea and you, you let this happen. You let this you happen. You him and yell at me, Joe. You let this happen. I see how it is. All right, so they're both super emo about each other. Um, that's the best way to describe it. Superman about losing his, his planet. Um, Batman's like, you know, even... Th- <laughs> I don't know why Ryan's looking at me like that. Um, Batman's like, you know, even you know even though you lost your planet, you know, you still grew up with the Kents. You know, I never, you know, got that childhood that you did. Um, they, Batman talks about his all-consuming vengeance. They have and an su- emo su- off. Superman, you know, brushes his hair back and he's like, I know Batman. And Batman's like, no, you don't, Superman, not really. So they just have, like, an angst off. Here's the thing, like, I had fucking notes, and I have to go through this thing. (laughs) And Batman has has moments where he's like, I either feel like simply going berserk or breaking out in tears. My god, Superman, if you can only sense the frustration. The sexual The sheer shrieking emotion of it. And Batman looks at a law, Superman looks at him, puts his hand on his shoulder. Meanwhile, off in space, uh, a big rock breaks off a part of something and starts, you know, hurling towards Okay, Earth. he doesn't just put his hand on his shoulder. They stare into each other's eyes. This isn't that yet, Ryan. They don't look... They, don't they? They yeah, do Batman, this more than once. Batman's kind of looking away. I think you're trying to make it's something like, that the isn't there. Say? One man reaches out to another. A world of profound empathy passes from his hand straight to Batman's troubled heart. Yeah! Yeah, making something out of nothing. I think that's making something out of nothing. I bet here. if Slice said it, you would have kissed his ass about it. No. <laughs> just, just no. I bet you would have reached out and touched his sexy heart or whatever. All right, so Superman also starts getting emo, uh, blah, blah, blah. Even though he grew up with the Kent, he's like, I can't help but feel the loss of my home planet, a world that I never knew. Um, I feel like I'm being way more nuanced in my brief descriptions about it than they are. Yeah, least. absolutely. He's um, fucking Howard the Duck now. There you go. And Superman's like, just as you strive to ensure that others do not suffer the same fate of your parents, I remain on constant vigil to prevent the Earth from growing the way of Krypton. We're like night and day, you and I. And yet, we're closer than we realize. Closer than twins, because we complement each other. <laughs> yeah, seriously, this is real dialogue. And then Superman extends his hand, and Batman reaches out. We fit each other. <laughs> like hand and glove. <laughs> and they shake hands, and it's like this weird circle emanating from the hand. Yeah. Like now, the, now they're staring into each other's eyes. And the captain yeah. says they grip for a long time. This is when I when I was first reading it. Staring this is when silence. I, British, Ryan. This is when I looked over my shoulder and said, I really hope no one is seeing me read this. <laughs> staring silent. Staring silently, sharing with the honesty of their eyes. All the usual emotional obstacles of embarrassment and discomfort. Such naked feeling, however, cannot last. Oh. As that big rock that was mentioned earlier is now hurling towards space. Uh, Superman goes out to get it. Batman's like, I'll cover you from the Batcave and we'll talk over radio. Uh, I just want to clarify all the stuff that Ryan, uh, Joe just read. Uh, it wasn't, we're not reading, uh, Batman Superman slash fiction. This is yeah. uh, push, a published work from 1983. Yeah. Um, what's wrong with this book again? You're the one who hates it. What? Are you trolling you now? <laughs> I don't understand. Maybe now he realized that we hate it too. He's going to put the tables on us. I never said I hated it. I don't know what you we're talking Ryan? about. Here. I love this. You jerked off to it? There's a difference, Sly. Just because you like something doesn't mean you have to jerk off to it. Hey, how many times do I have to tell you? You're not getting me to jerk off to this. Well, So, back to this book. 
I don't, I don't know who, who, what, what vibes I'm getting. If, like, who, who I'm getting the more vibes from, Superman or Batman or U2 right now. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was a dumb joke. We're going to cut that. <laughs> no, it's probably going to be left in. Whatever. Well, we're going to keep the, uh, my jokes. So we might as well yeah, if we're keeping the yeah. thing Sly said, we're definitely keeping the thing you said. <laughs> All right. So the meteor crashes, and out come these super awkward tentacle monster aliens. Um, Superman doesn't know if they're hostile, but apparently they died on impact, so they bring them back to the cave. Except they didn't die on impact. The cold Arctic frost put them in a hibernation-like state, and now they come alive. If only Superman's super hearing and senses could have detected that. He was too busy thinking about Batman, probably. He was too busy listening to Batman. And their emotional trauma. Oh, so a bigger fragment's going to plumb onto the Earth. Uh, the tentacle monsters innate this orc and activate all of Superman's disabled, like, super weapons that he's collected over the years. Um, Superman seems to subdue them pretty easily, uh, but almost before Batman gets hurt. Um, Superman immediately goes to Batman and is like, Batman, no! <laughs> and Superman's like, yeah, oh, I'm just a little stunted, you know, stuff like that. Um, just and then a little he, pent up. And they use the inhibitor ray. Was it? It's the... It's like a Brainiac gun or whatever. What, right? it's just, we'll give it a shit. It's a fucking sci-fi gun. It's, it's important, Sly. I know, it's but you say it's just a fucking This gun is a piece of art that should be discussed as such. So I don't like get ruins. who you're trolling. Now, I think you're trolling you. He's too far down. <laughs> it's Inception. Yeah. <laughs> He's gone too deep. Start with ideas as simple as core. I need to get through this book. Alright, so Batman starts communicating with the aliens. Um, with his headset. With his headset. We get the origin of the aliens, which is pretty much, they're here because their robot master overlords called the Grill eventually just became the Cybermen from Doctor Who, where they removed all humanity from them slowly but surely to the point where they became all robots. But in doing so, they realized they removed emotion, so they sent the tentacle monster aliens to go steal emotion. There's about four or five pages that go into the backstory the most, of these aliens that never we will never see comedy. again. Yeah. And it's the most like cliched sci-fi concept that I've seen a million times, and it's so boring. Except for the Cybermen. Cause yeah, the Cybermen, because it's done well. Yeah. Cybermen also predates this by like 10 years. They do, don't they? Yeah. So then what happens, Joe? Oh, so the asteroid that's coming to Earth is where the tentacle monsters came from. Superman's like, I gotta destroy this. We don't know if we can trust the aliens or not. And Batman's like, no, don't do it. Don't destroy their world like Krypton was destroyed. <laughs> and Superman's like, all right. Considering that in the first half of this issue, it's all Superman thinks about, it's crazy that he forgot. Yeah. All right, that thing. Well, if you watch Man of Steel, he has, he has no problem destroying worlds, honestly. Uh, yeah. No, just IHOPs. And Sears. <laughs> and uh, Krypton's future. That's true. Well, Krypton had its time. Guys, we're not talking about Man of Steel. Krypton had its time. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So he does that. Superman's like, thanks for talking sense to me. And Batman's like, it wasn't a hard friend. After after all, I knew you had a heart. And then more tentacle monsters come from the thing while Batman's like, N- and now to see where our heart has led us. Okay, and then pretty much the tentacles start mating with each other. Yeah. Like, because they were inspired by their emotion or something? That's how they spread emotion or something. Yeah. They, they and spark. it is it is the most graphic sex scene I've ever seen in, yeah, it, in a DC it's, comic. It's, a, it's yeah. an alien dick going into a vagina. It's, it's like, because it's a tentacle going into this big, like, eye hole thing. But it is, like, so gross. Yeah. They describe it as a mating ritual. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's yeah. nothing. They use the word ovulation. Yeah. <laughs> 
No. There's nothing subtle about it. And Batman and Superman are watching this this meeting. They're between. watching this, um, and they're like, they're touch- like, we're not going to steal your emotion from you. We're going to elect to die because you've shown us. Yes. So the, they, you've shown, shown us, us with true love, and also you taught us, us the great sex emotion. Thing. And pretty much like we came here because Superman's like. Fortress Solitude is just like a fortress of emotion that he's built up yeah. over the years. Yeah. They were so touched by Superman's feelings for Batman, they came... They fuck they, each other to death. And then uh, Batman and... Then uh, they, they start fucking each other. Then they, they feel the emotion Batman and Superman feel. And like this, this this emotion you guys have is so powerful, we have to kill ourselves rather than destroy it and keep it for ourselves. Autoerotic asphyxiation, man. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. So Wait, they, not only that... That they... Batman and Superman cry. They cry they while die. they watch them fuck each other to death. Yeah. As, as they die. And they, they as the creatures die, they say, for us, we, we shall die having lived a life our creators never knew is more than enough. And we thank you profoundly for granting us such a precious gift as they do each other and dissolve into dust. So, what what do you guys think? So, what do you think what the attention of the story was? Because I, I, I have no idea. I, I feel Doug Mullink was like, I'm going to tell this beautiful Deep story about these aliens that kill feel, me. Feel the emotions of humans, and feel it's so beautiful that they have to die. And we'll, in the meantime, we'll explore the relationship between Batman and Superman, their love for each other, and uh, that that emotion will draw these creatures in. That, mo- that emotion will touch them, and they'll all die to sit, keep that emotion preserved. See, I think this is. I think he does this on purpose. I think the gay stuff is done on purpose as a joke. I really so do. So you, you think this is really just the uh, more having a lark? I really think that cause Doug, he's a writer that I really like. He writes a lot of really great stuff, but this is so over the top. I'm not even saying that it's not that it's because it's bad. It's so over the top that it has to be on purpose. A lot, bro. You you think uh, I'm curious, Black? That was over the top. Just, but this is way more over the top. The the word choice about like the naked feeling and they're shaking hands and staring at each other for more than one panel. I, I think like, I think you're ascribing too much into this. Okay, here's the thing. That was made in what, nineteen sixty nine? Uh seventy. Seventy eighty three. This is nineteen eighty three. This is like a post gritty dark knight detective world. Like this is still uh, before Crisis Events in the Earth. Yeah, but this, this Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams had already reinvented the character. Yeah. But this uh, this is before Superman was really revamped. Like how much how much how many most, uh, how many personal Batman Superman stories were there at this time? I don't know. I assume Hopefully that, none like this. Yeah. I assume this is trying to be like one of the first like ones to really make their emotion something more. I just think it's so over the top that it has to be on purpose. But I don't know. I'm not I didn't write you it. You think you think wants Batman to be gay? I'm not saying he necessarily wanted to. I think he does it as a goof. It's called like the Krill Wave dying. It's about these creatures feeling emotion and dying. I feel like it's trying to be I don't know. a powerful story, and it's just not. Joe, tiebreaker. Is this a joke or is this serious? Can it be both? No. Yeah, it can. They are opposite things. No, they're... But do you think, do you think it's funny because Doug Mullock wanted to be funny, or do you think it was funny because it, 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 it missed the mark the story so much? wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. This wasn't a funny story. Okay, so I think that'll bring this, us to... This was a super awkward story. So... Like, I read this at work, and I was like... I was upset that I read this last, and the story we're about to read next, because, God, I wish I had something to wash this down with. <laughs> so what... So, do you... Final thoughts, what do you think? No. It's just I'm terrible? Not, I... If you want, like, here's the thing, if you want more, like, subtle, like, homosexual sexuality stories, there are so many better ones than but this. But it's not subtle. That's why I think it's, no, but I it's, think it's hilarious. Yeah, but it's not subtle, but it's not, like, uh, 
God. It's, See, I think if you want to... I can laugh... I can... Here's the thing. I can laugh at, at the homoeroticism in this. I can't laugh at the tentacle sex. See, I... Th- the tentacle I, sex was just so weird. If you want to see what what it's like to see official fan fiction, I, I think it's great. I think it's hilarious. So I say, I say so bad it's good. But Joe says terrible. What do you say, Sly? I think it's pretty terrible. Okay. Um, it is. Oh uh, my God. It, it's it's not even funny. It's it's funny because it's so homoerotic and but unintentionally so. But the actual story is so boring. Like, it's just, it's just Batman. It's Super- just awkward. Yeah. It's, it's so uncomfortable. And, and the story- I think it's fun. <laughs> it's just an awkward. Well, story. we all know how Ryan feels now. <laughs> okay. So we've talked enough about Superman having sex without a camera in the room. <laughs> Let's move on to a two-part story in Action Comics 592 and 593, written and drawn by John Byrne, where Superman makes a porno. You guys ready? You guys ready? ready. Okay, so I want to first, instead of just going through it, I want to give a little backstory on the characters in it. Gonna, Sly thinks this will take two years. I don't I, think it will take two years, but you, Ryan said we're going to finish the story in like five seconds. Fuck you, Sly. That's, yeah, that's what I said. So... Basically, this deals with a lot of Fourth World New Gods characters, which quick... Basically, they're all from a planet that's like a giant hellscape called Apocalypse. And the characters that are there are Big Barda, who was a, like, guard there. One of, like, the strong, like, elite guards who turned good when she fell in love with Mr. Miracle, who is an escape artist, who's the only one who ever escaped Apocalypse, and they came to Earth. And the big bad that rules Apocalypse is Darkseid, who's like a big... He's who Thanos is based on, more or less. He's a big, like, rock monster overlord type guy. Yeah, who's, like, super powerful. Yeah, Yeah. and so the New Gods came to Earth in the 70s and, I guess, hung around. Okay. So... Is it is that enough, Sly? Do we need to know anything yes, else? Yes, I'm satisfied. Okay. I'm not satisfied. Can you tell me more about Jack Kirby's Fourth World, please? Uh, it's so good. Everyone should read it. Okay. But, besides the point. So Big Barda, for some reason, is walking down the slums of Metropolis. <laughs> so Big Barda is exactly what she sounds like. She's like a big, like, Amazon woman. And she's walking through... What'd you say? What is it? Suicide slums or whatever? It's called suicide slums. Yeah. That's the neighborhood. So this is... this, is, this, this is, is It's what I thought Little Africa became. Because it seems just as run down. They realize how offensive Little Africa is. And, and then yeah. change it to suicide slums. So it's basically... She's walking down like trying to learn about Earth. Because she's fresh from Apocalypse. And everyone's like hitting on her. Thinking she's a prostitute. And, you know, trying to sell her stuff. And it's... Yeah. And it's... Would be that kind of like... For those of you who don't know, a prostitute is somebody uh, who loves you no matter who you are. Well, by, by the way... <laughs> or what you look like. We should get into uh, a little bit uh, the writer and artist of this book, John Byrne. Because he is a guy we can talk at length about. Uh, when I mentioned uh, a few episodes ago about Scarlet Witch and Vision having their relationship broken up, uh, John Byrne is the culprit. Because, <laughs> because John Byrne is a guy, when he has a depiction of a character in his mind... That depiction is going to be canon no matter what anyone else thinks. So, John Byrne is... How do you really feel about John Byrne, though? But he also, like, had one of my favorite Fantastic Four runs. Yep. He did the... He was the co-plotter and artist for the most iconic X-Men stories. Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past. Like, he's someone that... It's... He rose through the ranks and 
earned a place of being an architect of the universe and then moved to DC and did crazy stuff. <laughs> Counterpoint, um, most of John Byrne's best stuff was when he, when he was proving himself starting out, like X-Men and Fantastic Four. As soon as he got any kind of name, he became a complete dick and most wrote shit. I think that's fair. I will say, though, I do love his art. I, 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 I will say that. Even in these porno issues, his art's great. My love for John Byrne's art is like an inverse relationship for my hatred for John Byrne's writing. I, the fact that he write, draws so well and writes so shittily yeah. upsets me. So, let's get back to the book. So <laughs> That was worth bringing up. No, definitely worth bringing up. But I want to talk about this porn. So, Big Barda is... Kind of like the standard fish out of water kind of thing, except she is tough. It's not like she's not getting taken advantage. She's a warrior of. from like one of the harshest planets in the galaxy. Yeah. So or universe. I don't know if they're. The thing is universe. Going. So she's she, she's like walking through this alley, and a purse snatcher grabs her purse and runs away with it, and it has something called her mega rod in it. And that's basically. Oh God, I didn't get that yeah. the first time I read it. Fuck. Well, that's a thing. That's a thing that oh, she's had in the God. past. Yeah, that's a dumb name. <laughs> yeah, but that's not. Big that's Barter not and Mega Rod sounds like a great porno. I know, I know. Oh my God. So it's basically like a super weapon from Apocalypse that does lots of crazy super stuff. My Mega Rod is a super weapon from Apocalypse too. Oh Jesus, light. Oh God. <laughs> so he runs he tries to escape with the purse he goes into the sewers where he's abducted by a new fourth world character that hadn't been seen before John Byrne's addition to this canon yeah into one of the most iconic like comic worlds the fourth world and it's this gross froggy guy with a long tongue named Sleaze tell me about Sleaze Ryan I think this is the only story he's in yeah it is I checked it I wonder why he didn't show up anything else he's such an iconic character so, <laughs> Big Barda is chasing Sleaze now, but she doesn't know it's Sleaze. Through the sewers... Because even though Sleaze is, he's just a fucking guy. Yeah. And she dons her warrior armor, because she's like, this is a fight now. And in, from the darkness, Sleaze keeps shooting the Megarod at her, and she thinks it's this, like, street rat. And it's not as dirty as it sounds. I mean, yeah, I get Now that it's, I it's say it out loud. laser beams at him. Not yeah, it's just shooting laser beams. And she's like, wow, how could this guy learn how to use this so quickly? He, It's almost like he's from Apocalypse. How could he learn to use Megarod so quickly? Yeah. And then Sleaze actually hits her with one, and she gets knocked unconscious. Smash cut. Elsewhere. He's distracted because she realizes it's not the purse snatcher who has yeah. it. Yeah. So, t- now it fast forwards to two days later, and Superman, as Clark Kent, is in this, like, hospital, I guess? Yeah. And there's all these people here that are, like, 150 years old. They're all, like, really old. And the doctor's trying to... He's explaining that they don't know how they're so old. And Superman uses his supervision to see that they have this radiation on them. And that doesn't actually get resolved in this story at all, does it? No, it, it does, but it's so, it's, it's, the way it gets resolved it makes it so pointless that why is this even in the fucking story? Yeah, it's, it's resolved for one reason only. But well, this yeah, is part we'll of... It John day. Byrne was writing Superman for a while. It's not like the... It's not like the World's Finest issue where they yeah. were all kind of like one and done. This is part of a bigger arc, oh, yeah. I guess. I, I, sh- I'm, I was shitting on John Byrne before, but another good thing he did was he was the writer of Superman after... He was rebooted in Crisis on Infinite Earths. He basically made him a uh, less crazy, juggling planets character. He made him tone down his power level. He made it, he made Clark Kent the true identity and Superman 
the secret identity. I've read other parts of Burn Superman that are great. Yeah, uh, and historically, it's a very important run, and I've heard a lot of good things, but uh, I just want to bring that up because it's important to... There's some weird stuff in in it, for sure. So now Superman is trying to trace the radiation, and it cuts back to the sewer where Big Barda is now dancing for sleaze while he In a he very yells, skimpy outfit. Yeah, yeah. A bit, barely an outfit. It's, it's like sh- shredded wheat on her. Yeah. She's just covered in, like, shredded... It looks like shredded paper. Yeah. And he's saying, dance for me, pretty pretty. Dance for sleaze. And it's really weird. And, like, Big Barda is... Hypnotized. Is hypnotized and under his control. And Big Barda is such a great character... Not in this story. Not in this story. And like, it's such a shame because she is so, especially when she debuted in like the early 70s, she was so not an atypical female comic book character. She was a strong warrior with a like more sensitive, uh, escape artist oriented, not combat oriented husband. And they like, they live together and she was the tough one. And her costume is so not skimpy. And it's such, it's, She's still one of the strongest. Like, she's a really great, not just female character, but character in general. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate to see her reduced to her role in the story. Yeah, because she even now is one of the least typical superheroines, even even in today's current yeah. climate. And it's so it's such a shame to see this story that doesn't need to exist. <laughs> so, please give us backstory. So Sleaze explains his backstory. He's from Apocalypse. He's a Sleaze ball. And also, he was, he was one of Darkseid's like right hand men before Darkseid banished him to Dar- Earth. Darkseid yeah. thought he was too gross to keep on Apocalypse. And Darkseid like tortures people. Like Darkseid's the biggest bad in the in the DC universe. And he's like Sleaze, you're gross. Your name's Sleaze. Yeah. So Superman comes down and saves Big Barda from Sleaze, and. When so basically, Sleaze runs away and escapes, and Big Barda attacks Superman, saying, "You must be a pawn of Sleaze. This well, is well, all part of the game." Well, Superman tries to save Sleaze because Big Barda wants to murder him because she's like a warrior princess type of yeah. character, and uh, Superman's like, "No, you can't murder. It's wrong." And she's like, "Why would you not want to murder? Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? You must be working for Sleaze." And she starts being the chef, Superman. Yeah. Hits him with the Mega Rod, knocks him out, and then Sleaze throws both of them yeah. in a She's big also pit. convinced that that's not actually Superman, and it's one of like Sleaze's... Like mind games. Yeah. yeah. So, they get thrown in a big pit, issue ends. Yeah. Seems a little creepy, but, you know, nothing out of the old, you know, nothing... Nothing crazy. Yes. What's in the cover of this next uh, So, issue? the next cover is Mr. Miracle now, tied up, getting carried away by a gang, and he's saying, Superman and my wife and Superman and Big Bard are making out. <laughs> so, I just want to stress again, Darkseid is a big bad who runs planets and, like, tortures people and, like, runs a society based on evil. He is not a petty villain. Yeah. So now, issue two opens with Mr. Miracle practicing his... I don't, ass- I don't understand, Ryan. We'll, we'll he's, get to He's it. not a petty villain? No. Are you sure? Uh, at, at least uh, up to now, he wasn't. All right. Well, Until John Byrne uh, wrote him. So, Mr. Miracle is using his escape tricks to get into his house. And he walks in and goes, hi, honey, we're home. And it's him and his sidekick, 
who doesn't play a part in the story at all, so it's not important. So he walks in and he goes, Barda, where are you? After like the the really sitcom hi honey, we're home. And Darkseid is sitting in his armchair drinking wine with this fucking smug grin on his face. And it's not drawn menacing or anything. He's drawn very casual. Like, this, is a, this is like he has a sitcom. His legs crossed. Yeah. yeah. And like the, the, the colors are neutral. Like there's, the lighting is like bright and colorful. Yeah. Like it's like if, if like watching a sitcom and all of a sudden Homer Simpson sits on the couch. Yeah. yeah. And no, it's, it's like a sitcom. Like if Kramer walked in the room, I pictured the audience being like woo and like clapping because there's dark side. And Mr. Miracle even has like the like cliched like he says dark side you swine what have you done with my wife like he doesn't realize he's in a story where superman's making a porno <laughs> he still thinks he's fighting a supervillain yeah. so dark side basically says i haven't done anything but it's come to my attention that barda is in dire straits i, f- I found this weird porno tape he's, in this random shop well he doesn't shopping. say it's a porno tape he says this videotape has come to my attention how He's on another planet. Yeah. This is being sold in like slums of Metropolis. And like, Mr. Miracle is so committed to this yeah. like villainous trap. He says, but be ready to shield your eyes at a moment's notice. This could be one of Darkseid's mind trappers. <laughs> like, and I feel like John Byrne hasn't, like his characters don't realize that this is a bizarre story either. So it cuts to, and I can't stress enough. I love John Byrne's art in this book. <laughs> It cuts to a sequences of a sequence of panels of Mr. Miracle watching the tape as his face gets more and more like disturbed yeah. while his sidekick Oberon is like it's like, it's like well, hey it's Big Barda what's she doing over there yeah he's what's just she like, all those I can't say much for the okay wow not quite <laughs> well because at this point it's only the tape of her just doing the str- sexy naked dance did you say like did you say like uh, they, I'll get to did that did you say sleep makes makes her do stuff during two days yeah. But they'll, I'll get to that when they actually talk about that soon. So he's just like, can't say much for the production value. Looks like it was shot in a sewer. Is that Barda? I hardly recognize her under that awful makeup. What's she? Oh, no. And that's when they realize that this is a, this is a dirty grown-up video. I just want to give my interpretation of why the story exists. Why it's not. Mark Millar is a writer who has a calculating fetish. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he openly said that, but it's pretty obvious. Because every single story... Mark Millar writes has somebody getting somebody somebody fucking somebody else's wife, uh, kick ass, wanted, uh, unfunny, trouble to an extent, trouble. I'm sorry, they're not married, but, but uh, uh, boyfriend girlfriend. No, I, I trouble's perfect. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's trouble. I'm not saying trouble's it's a, great. Uh, okay, uh, so, so anyway, cuckolding is an aspect. It's necessarily a flaw, Joe. Don't be you fucking. It's not in there. You fed it. You fed a shaming piece of shit. Saw so you're projecting on a truck, okay, which is guys, a book. Trying to talk about this deep, nuanced story. But yeah, I bring up that because I am nine episodes sure, sure John Barr has a cuckolding fetish and wants to apply it to Mr. Miracle. Cause, and I don't know anything that convinced me otherwise. Because why else would this story exist? I I don't know why this exists. Because somebody need it's you know it's the 80s and you know people were making pornos. I guess. I wanted to show how like Superman also had real life problems like having your sex tape leak. And uh, John and John Byrne also his, the person who worked with on X Men. Chris Claremont also infused his fetishes into his comics a lot too. He had a bit, pretty big BDSM fetish, and they actually not get into BDSM a lot. So I, it seems like this was the era of people projecting their fetishes into their, into their books. Well, because I think you were, for the first time, you were allowed to talk about sex and comics. Yeah. So, like, everyone's like, ooh. <laughs> so, anyway, back, meanwhile. <laughs> oh, God, that's so gross. Back in the book. Yeah, but it's probably true. So, there's a real sleazeball guy. 
not Sleaze, <laughs> who obviously runs this porn business that Sleaze is making videos for. And Sleaze comes in, and they're talking about their partnership. And this guy is a is like a god. Why does he sell porn to this guy Never. to just get money? It, it, it's never explained. It's really weird. He's, he's on Earth, and he's broke, and, you know, uh, uh, Sleaze has got to make a living somehow. I guess. With his, you know, with his, his mega rod and his, yeah. you know, group of super So humans. this is why I think that Barda doesn't have sex with anyone on tape yet, because at this point, Sleaze says, uh, he, the guy, the, we need a name, make up a name for this, uh, Sleazeball guy. Sleaze? No, the other guy. Dick? Okay, so Dick says, <laughs> so Dick says that Big Barda you have is really popular, but we gotta get her to do some more hardcore stuff. But no one can handle her. And he says, "I have just the person, the the one who can handle her." And Superman walks in, smashes a desk, and obviously Superman is also under Sleaze's mind control. So Sleaze is like, "We're gonna make these two dudes do it." Well, not dudes, because the lady. <laughs> That's a separate porno. It's yeah. A separate porno yeah. So he's like, "We're gonna make a sex tape with Superman and Big Barda," because that's what we do. And it's gonna be the best. So, Mr. Miracle goes on a really long, reminiscent thing, recapping his origin about how he, him and Barda escaped. Really not important. And yeah, Ryan's five seconds, I think, covered it, you know, yeah. just as well. And then, Mr. Miracle gets kidnapped. Five, five seconds. Clonked on the head, put in a bag, chained up, locked in a safe, dumped in the water. Don't know why they do that. And, and then shows up on the next page, totally fine. When I read this, I was like, wait, what? He's an escape artist. Yeah, he was, but I, like we never saw the escape. Yeah, so that's I what like, I want to see. It's yeah. fun to watch that. I, yeah. I think they explained that it was Sleaze's men, but... They uh, do later on, but, but like, sorry, it just seems like a bunch of random hobos. Like, who have a safe and chains yeah. and a bag. Just, just yeah. imagine like any movie, like Batman's walking down the street, and all of a sudden people, people just grab him, put him, throw him into a safe, throw him, chain, chain up the safe, just throw him into the river, and out of nowhere. They don't say anything while they're doing this. Just... And he doesn't say anything either. He doesn't say, hey, stop. He's just like, okay, this is happening to me now. So, <laughs> it's bizarre. So now it cuts back to Dick and Sleaze are filming Superman and Big Barda in a bed, both fully costumed. Well, Big Barda's not. She's in, like, a metal bikini. Superman is fully costumed, cape and all, and Sleaze is trying to push him through his, like, mental control to, to have sex with Big Barda. And he's resisting, but he's making some progress. And then Mr. Miracle is looking in the window, being like, what's going on? And he's like, who's that Who's that guy in the hat? And like, he's like, all of a sudden he realizes who it is, and he smashes through the window and yells, cut, that's a wrap, people. Still all, like, campy, silly, while Superman and Big Barda are making out. Yeah. This is 1985 or something, by the way. It's 87. 87. So like, this is... There are a lot of, like, campy, superhero-like aspects in this story, but the story is like, they're making a porno. Yeah. Yeah. This is a Bronze Age weirdness. Oh, do you know what? Oh, Sleaze just mentions. I remembered what the uh, porno guy's name is. It's not Dick. His name is Grossman. Because that's that's the level of subtlety the story has. Oh, my God. It's Grossman. So, Mr. Miracle is going after Sleaze, and Sleaze turns into a giant squid, which I guess is his original form or something, and Big Barda pulls the, pulls the squid off of Mr. Miracle, beats the shit out of it, and basically, like, saves the day. And I actually really like the Big Barda is the one who saves Mr. Miracle here. This is the only part of her character that's, like, kind of true in here. After all the fucking abuse her character gets. Yeah, but it's it's nice to see a little bit of strength in there than her just being 
mind controlled and to make pornos. To make pornos and it's dance like, for sleaze. Oh no, sleaze didn't turn into the squid. He threw the squid. That was yeah. my mistake. No, he, he kept it in his back pocket. Sleaze kills himself. And then yeah, sleaze goes in a. He's running through the sewer. He breaks the gas line and he lights a match and explodes. And Superman goes, "Great Scott." So Superman says, but Barda, my memory of what happened while we were under Sleaze's control is foggy, but it seems we, I mean, you and I, and she says, say no more, Superman, my recollection is as clouded as your own. I think it is for the best we leave it that way. And Mr. Miracle is super grimacing behind them. Yeah. I think that doesn't imply it, that. Yeah, it super implies that they had sex, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think all this uh, subtlety is John Byrne trying to... Be like really edgy and be like, yeah, but they totally had sex though. Yeah, and without saying it, so the censors don't say, hey. Yeah, here's the other it. thing. Like, Big Bar, Big Bar was under Sleaze's control for two days. Yeah. Where was Mr. Miracle? That's a good question. He was uh, training. Yeah, he was training. But like for two days? I don't know. So I know this is like the 2000s or like, you know, like where you have like cell phones are like very populated, but like it doesn't act like he's coming home. From, like, especially if they're somewhere. in, especially if they're in a world so new that she doesn't even know like where Crime Alley is. Yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, no, that's very you fair. You mean Suicide Slums? Crime yeah. Alley's Batman. You fucking dumbass. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know, I know, I know. You're right. She doesn't know where Little Africa is, yeah. Ryan. That's weird. So yeah, so that's a weird implication that they have there. And then it just cuts back to all those old people, and they're still alive, and Superman doesn't know why. No, because uh, basically it, it implies that sleek. It pretty much they're like uh, the radiation they have in them came from sleaze. No, he says it's still there. But I think yeah, but that I implies that sleaze is alive. He literally alive. says, "But I determined, uh, but I determined that the radiation came from sleaze." But I think it implies that whatever he gave them is permanent or whatever. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought it implied that Sleaze is alive. It, it doesn't matter because he's fucking... He never shows Either up way, again. it doesn't yeah. matter. The story's over. And yeah. it shows up again, so And, like... I, I'm, I'm going to yeah. assume that it just lingers whatever effect he had and that he's dead because good riddance. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so what do you guys think about Superman and Bert, Big Bar to make a porno? Uh, so bad it's good because this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and it's just... It's so kooky to read and yeah. you're you read it and you're just like why why is this like happening why was this made like who yeah. like gre- like yeah i had to think that like you know john byrne had like some poll where he's like i can do this because i'm john byrne yeah well this is this is after his successful superman relaunch so yeah. he probably could like he could do anything at this point yeah i think and that- he's, he's still very uh, he's still very good in this run but like you know as with any you know good idea there's gonna be one bad one and a bad one made it through i also think it's it's a fascinating story as far as the new gods go because the new gods in most runs are so bigger than life high concept and it's so fun to see them dragged at- down to the suicide slums. Yeah, so. to this bizarre like in Just League International, they humanized them a lot, especially yeah. Big Bart and Scott. But I wonder if that was because that came after this. Yeah. I wonder if that was because of this kind of story that humanized them a little bit. Like I wonder if like Giffen and Demetrius saw this and said we can make these not just mythical figures. We can make them real, fully fleshed-out characters. Who have pornos. Uh-huh. Are you like, an important story, Ryan? To, uh, I'm uh, wondering if the, it has more influence than is obvious. In the fact that this is the first time that I've read The New Gods as not just these giant, high-concept, modern myth figures. So I wonder. I so mean, Ryan recommends it as a great story. Okay. No, I think it's, it's terrible, but it's hilarious. Uh, I, I'm so bad. It's good for me too. Um, Sweet. It's so far. It is so weird. So, but. that wraps up our 
our crazy <laughs> trek through the Bronze Age of Superman. Oh my god. Okay, so, up next, we have some letters. Sean says on Facebook, What's the deal with AVX? Is it good, or should I skip? Sly first. Read anything else. I, I fuck up that book. <laughs> He's talking about Avengers vs. X-Men from 2012, 13? 2012. 12. I actually just reread it like two days ago. I actually like it. Ryan is a... Don't ask to Ryan. He is a shithead. And uh, he will miss... He's the guy who defended Cry for Justice. That's all we have to say about Ryan's opinion. <laughs> and I will, I will use that as my... Fair enough. My argument. I think if you've been following the X-Men at the time, I think You'll be disappointed. I, I think I like it as a bridging the gap between the Marvel Now stuff and the previous stuff. It's not the best. I'm not saying it's great. I think there's a lot of good ideas in it. But I'm not... I think it... I think it's I think it's a decent story. I think if you're interested, read it. You don't have to. Here's my recommendation. Read Messiah Complex. Read Second Coming. Then make up your own ending to that story because AVX is not a good ending to that story. Joe? That's um, fair. I'm with Ryan. It's, it's a decent story. My biggest problem with it was that it has five different writers and each writer has a really different style from the other writer. So it never, like, I could look at the the credits for the issue and be like, based on the writer, if this is going to be a good issue or a bad issue. Um, I do not recommend it because, like, unless you're really reading that era of X-Men, um, there's no, that book has no relevance to present-day Marvel. Uh, except um, for Wakanda! <laughs> does it, though? Not oh, really. Yeah. I guess Wakanda. It sets up yeah. Pikmin's Avengers. Okay, well. it, it sets up Wakanda. That's that's about it. Um, the the hope as a character is done after that book. I know she shows up in, in both X Force books and like hopeless X Force, but she's really like she's built up to be this plot device, and then she has her plot devicey moment. Basically, and I then would, she's kind of gone forever. I would recommend it if it's on a reading list of part of a bigger picture, but standalone, I would not. And it was so jarring to go from one writer to the next, and it was a really big styles clash. Also, the art's great. It's um. Koppel, Romeda, and um, Cho? Yes. And it's yeah. the art is gorgeous. The art is gorgeous. It's just, it's a, it was also a book that should be a little bit more, kind of like a vet, like um, Civil War, where it should be a little bit more dual-sided, but it kind of becomes something that it wasn't. See, I actually argue that I think it is more dual-sided than most. I think it starts off, and then it becomes very pro-Avengers. Okay, so I rec- I think... You know, if it's part of your bigger picture, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the same way. If it, if you're going to wind up reading it anyway, read it. But I wouldn't go out of my way to read it. I mean, that's fair. This is from John, from our email, deviceofissues at gmail.com. Write us. What characters do you think are totally down for butt stuff? Hulkling and Wiccan. Batman okay. Su- Batman Superman. Uh, okay. So Batman Superman, Hulkling and Wiccan. <laughs> okay, they're they're a gay couple. I would say Jessica Jones. Because <laughs> she literally does butt stuff in her book. It's heavily implied. Oh, okay. And then the second part, what character would you start a business with, and what would it be? You guys probably have to think about it for a second. Okay. I have one. I would love to start a restaurant with Oliver Queen. <laughs> for two reasons. One, it is confirmed that Oliver Queen makes the best chili in the DC Universe. And two, I feel like he would totally have all this, like, weird, like, uh, 
neighborhood outreach stuff going on for his like bleeding heart liberal side. And I just really want to eat that chili. Okay. I mean, uh, my gut instincts is say a porno business with Mr. Grossman in sleeves, <laughs> <Okay>. but <laughs> you know, I just I just want to think, you know, I because they go to business pretty quickly, you know, like they get they get busted pretty fast. What about you, Slay? You have anything? I would uh, ask Superman to take that Fortress of Solitude and that race swapping thing and use it for something more interesting than just making Lois Lane go through black neighborhoods. There's some potential there. <laughs> what would you have him do? I don't know. Uh, maybe have like become uh, uh, different actors and uh, advertise that, and people be like, "Hey, I'm Bill Murray for a day," and I'll be fucking awesome. That sounds really bizarre, but okay. <laughs> you would you wouldn't want to have like a, I wouldn't want someone to be me for a day. <laughs> you wouldn't. I want everyone to be me. Okay, I just feel like they would ruin my life. Exactly. A world of slimes. Okay, that sounds pretty awesome. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Oh, you, you have any more uh, ideas? Yeah. I do love it. I feel like you would really bring the best performances out of your actors and actresses <laughs> in your porn studio. Okay, and the last question, also from Facebook. Uh, divisive issues on Facebook. And also, uh, no, people have been tweeting at us, but no questions. So you should tweet at us, at Divisive Issues, because I run that account and I'm never so lonely. <laughs> So, Henry asks, is there hope for Moon Knight having a long-term t- series instead of a few issues by a writer, then a few by another, then a few by another? And he's talking specifically, but I kind of wanted to talk more gradual, or more general, not gradual, gradual. <laughs> about that kind of idea that, back in the day, we talked about, like, John Byrne staying on Superman for years and years. Yeah, Cush came on staying next to for 16 years. Yeah, and I feel like... Uh, in current times, you get a couple runs like that, but really often now we see a lot of like almost seasons of books. Yeah, Moon Knight being the most extreme example because I feel like his book last time it was just six issue arcs from different writers each time, right? Yeah. Do you think that we'll get a return to really long form, or do you think the smaller seasonal will be like the norm? I think the norm would de- the norm would definitely be seasonal stuff. I I. Uh, Not. Th- I. I just want to specify. There. Are, I know. There's plenty of runs that are still really long form, but it's used to be the norm. Now it's the exception. Now it's the exception. Now most runs are usually like, let's say, twenty issues max, maybe, and um, and now they they like rebooting stuff at number one in the first place. So that's always a nice uh, selling point. Hey, it's it's a new creative team, new writer, new artist, new number one go buy this instead of hey it's issue 45 of a run and I think that, that appeals more to uh, new readers potentially potentially appeals more to new readers who knows if it actually does because then they don't have to read all the other stuff before it had they feel less obligated to read all the stuff before it, and they can just jump in with this new team and enjoy this new di- di- different direction that's going on and with Moon Knight specifically um, Moon Knight has always, been a, has always been a character that struggled to have his own uh, unique identity. Uh, ironically, uh, for those who don't know... Just like the character? Yeah, ironically, for those who don't know, Moon Knight is basically Marvel's Batman, except he's crazy, and he has multiple personality disorder. So, and people always people basically reinvent him every couple of years. Uh, his original run... He, his original interpretation, he was basically just a, um, a werewolf hunter. Then he became a Batman character. Then he became a Batman character, also was a taxi by day and a rich man by night. And a mercenary, another mercenary in his past. Then it, it be, he basically uh, starts seeing his god t- 
talking to him. Then he starts, he starts imagining the his god had all these cultists that talked to him. Then he imagined he was Batman. He was so he's Wolf- a character that's ripe for relaunch. Yeah, so he got relaunched plenty of times, and I do think there will be a point where he gets a solid identity, and that will be when he gets a Netflix series, which I think will be probably very soon. I, it's interesting that you brought up Netflix because I wanted to ask this question. As I feel like television, which used to be much more episodic, is now getting more long form through long form through things like Netflix. Do you think that now that Marvel has things like Marvel Unlimited, which is basically Netflix for comics, and giant trades and big omnibuses and all these kind of things are getting more common, do you think that that binge reader long form story? Will make more of a comeback. I don't think they've been pushing it as much. Maybe in the future, but not. I don't think anything. I don't see anything. You don't, don't see them going that way. I don't see them indicating that right now. Um, yeah, I do see the long form making a comeback eventually. Um, I don't know if it will be on. I think they want to keep some of the lower tier characters as room to experiment with a new writers, um, new artists, things like that. Um, but I do see longer form making a comeback. I think you just had. People need to. It's tough because I don't know like how far people plan ahead. Uh, the one Ron L mentioned. It's tough because I don't know if the writers get a certain number of issues. They're like, hey, you know, you're gonna get this many issues at least. So plan your story to that form because then we might relaunch the book. So I don't know the politicking of it enough. But for a character like Moon Knight, Moon Knight I think is ripe for a really long character defining run. Yeah. Um, Moon Knight like... was actually created by the writer of the world's finest issue with the tentacle sex. Oh yeah. great. So oh, fun fact. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and he has the longest run on Moon Knight, so he, yeah. he's the tentacle sex writer defining the character. The most. Wow. Well. Yeah. Just bring I'm, it I'm so, full circle. I'm so happy I have that essential waiting for me in my <laughs> Yeah. So you think that Moon Knight needs a definitive writer? I, I think. I think. Most, I don't think they need a definitive. I think someone needs to have a long-term direction with the character. And I think you could say that for most characters who have had short runs. You know. Because I like, thought... I, I think that rings true for the Punisher as well. Yeah. At times, you know. And he's a fan favorite of mine, but, you know, the book A needs to sell and B needs to have a long-term direction. And I feel like when characters don't have necessarily the direction that, like, a modern Moon Knight would, it's hard to get people to jump in Yeah, when they don't have the trust of the character yet. And I certainly think that exposure through Marvel movies and Netflix are going to help the the long-term... Success because you're you're getting exposure through them. Like someone who might not pick up a Punisher comic book might you know watch Daredevil, see the Punisher on that show, and be like, hey, this is a character I'd like to get into. And That's the, kind of yeah. always been the beauty of of those series, um, and that was kind of what old comics used to do. You used to have a character cameo in Spider-Man and be like, if you like the character here, go follow them in their own monthly series. Yeah. Um, and now I think the the other mediums are doing that more than the comics do. I mean, I know the DC TV shows are filled with so many characters that I... That I'd love to go read, but yeah. don't have an outlet for. Yeah. Um, Marvel seems to be doing a better job of that at the moment. Yeah, Marvel's definitely... More but I definitely see. think Moon Knight is capable of it. Um, and to have a really long run, you need someone with a long-term direction. I mean, Jeff Lemire's taken over the book. That, that could be it. I think that's fantastic. I think he's a great writer. Uh, I'm loving his work on X-Men right now as we speak. Uh, I've heard his Hawkeye book is great I right really now. love the first trade, yeah. So I, I think that you know maybe this is it for him. I think the character already has a lot of interest being generated in him because of a potential yeah. Netflix-type appearance. So I'd say this, this, could be, you know, this could be it for him, maybe. Cool, cool. So you guys ready for the last? The recommendations? Recommendation. To watch this... 
because you said you needed to wash this taste out. Okay. I'll go first this time. Because I'm the best. Right. So, <laughs> I like to recommend a really different kind of Superman book mm-hmm. called uh, It's a Bird, written by Steven Siegel, who apparently, I haven't read any of his actual Superman run, but it's a Vertigo graphic novel about when he was given the job to write Superman. He was like, Superman's a boring Boy Scout. How am I going to write this guy? And it's him delving into what makes Superman so great, what he stands for, the like how powerful his, his symbolism is, and it relates to his relationship with his father. And it's very much like a nonfiction. It's still a graphic novel, but it's very much kind of like what Superman can be when he's not this, <laughs> when he's not making pornos or watching tentacles fuck each other. To As death. usually is. And this is actually a lot of people. The reason why I bring it up now is because a lot of people look at Superman as that lame Boy Scout. And, or the quirky Silver Age comics, like Superman's so powerful, you know, he sneezes and a galaxy blows away. And I I think that this book does a really good job at showing why Superman has outlasted the status quos for him. And Uh, why his character continues. Even though there's these bizarre stories that pop up throughout his entire career. But he will always persevere, and I think the book does a really good job at explaining why we deal with these stories and still call ourselves Superman fans. Yeah. Who wants to go next? Well, okay. I think if you want a really great, you know, oh, modern take on Superman. Here it fucking comes. What do you think I'm going to recommend? I have no idea. Because I'm going to go in a different direction. Um, I'm going to work in the movie Man of Steel. Oh, fuck you, Jim. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing that for the hate. <laughs> um, I'm going to write... This is tough. I have not read a ton of Superman. Honestly. You don't have to recommend Superman. Yeah, but I feel like we, it's an entire John, episode of Superman. You can recommend John Byrne. You can recommend Bronze Age stories. You can recommend a lot of things. Uh, I was going to... You know, I will do it. Um, it's a Villains United tie-in in action comics. I think it's 830 or 831. Um, it's a... Is that the Gail Simone issue? The Gail Simone. The Gail Simone-Black Adam-Superman fight. Uh, right before um, in Infinite Crisis. Uh, John Byrne does the art. Really? So I'm going to tie that back to it. Yeah. Interesting. So and it's just it's a cool Superman story. It's one of the first like actual Superman stories I ever read. Um, yeah, pretty much because the things I'd read with Superman was like when I young when I was really young. Probably didn't know how to read. Just so like I, just, I looked at the pretty pictures and just fake you know faked them until I made it. Um, but it's a cool story. Um, I personally love Black Adam. It does his character very well. Um, Gail Simone is a great writer. The art's beautiful. So, it, if you want, you know, just a Superman story where, you know, there isn't tentacle sex, I can easily recommend you this one. Cool. I'll recommend uh, Man of Steel by John Byrne, which is the start of his Superman run. Uh, I was hoping you do Man of Steel the movie. <laughs> I forgot that Like connection. Joe, I also think Man of Steel is the definitive take on Superman. But I recommend that because it is an important book uh, to redefine a character for the modern era. And... Uh, it shows that John Burke can write good stuff when he doesn't have his head up his ass, which is very rarely. But, um, yeah, check that or out if you want to give some optimism to his work that you will later lose once you read the rest of his work. All right, well, I think this has been a fantastic episode of Divisive Issues. I want to thank all y'all for listening. I love you, Avery. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been Joe Ciano. Wait. Wait, what? Also, remind everyone to rate and review us on iTunes because that's the best way to get more people to see the show. Do what Ryan just said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, y'all know who I am. Go, just tell you say something. 
What? Say your name. I, I've been Grossman. <laughs> and I've been Sleaze. <laughs> Stay in continuity. Stay in continuity. Stay in continuity.